You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival podcast. I am Matt Baker. I perform a comedy and stunt show. And I'm Louis Fox. I do uh, magic tricks, comedy, and hand shadow puppets. <laughs> and we both have performed at the Moisture Festival for a number of years. So welcome to the podcast where we give you a peek behind the curtains of the performers and the people that make the Moisture Festival happen. You get a little, little bit of a look at their journey to getting on stage and a little bit about what they do in their time off stage. So welcome and be sure to check out all the episodes of the Moisture Festival podcast because there's a lot. There is a lot. And if you aren't familiar with the Moisture Festival, it's a four-week festival celebrating variety arts. So that's hula hoopers, magicians, people who bounce on their hands, acrobats, pretty much anything you can think of. It is the largest festival of its kind in the entire world, folks. In the entire world, it's the largest festival, and it features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, but they have a burlesque venue that runs for one week only, and get your tickets for that early because that always sells out actually 95 percent we've crunched the data louie yes 95 percent of the shows sell out so if you're listening to this in the months of march and april be sure to go to moisturefestival.org and get your tickets today yes especially if your bucket list item is to see the opening show get them now absolutely Today we are joined by the amazing Jay Alexander in Berkeley, California. We talk about his time as a doorman at rock clubs. We talk about living on a houseboat. We talk about his having his own magic theater. And of course, the Moisture Festival. He is the magician to the stars. And we hear all sorts of cool stories about that. And what an amazing career he's had. Let's get to the interview with Jay. Our guest is a master magician, comic, and mentalist. He is one of the top corporate and society entertainers in the United States. He has appeared on The Today Show, MTV, TEDx, and Good Morning America. He is the only magician to have his name on the wall at the Fillmore. Bono called him astonishing. Steve Wozniak has called him really great. And Ron Wood from the Rolling Stones said he is the best magician I have ever seen. He is always the best dressed man in the room. We are excited to have Jay Alexander. Woo! Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks for thanks for coming all the way to Berkeley to, to do this. Man, you look great. I, the last time I saw you, I think, was you were wearing a zoot suit? Or Probably yeah. I did that for many years, yeah. yes. <laughs> what, what, yeah. what, why'd you transition away from the zoot suit? Oh, you know, the, well, the zoot suit started in kind of the early 90s, maybe even late 80s. And it, before the whole swing movement kind of re came back, uh, I was driving through Oakland, and there was a store that was basically a pimp store. Okay. And I was still doing magic, and I had a, a mentor who would always say, you know, to be a magician, you got to look like a magician, wear a tuxedo. And it was still in that era of that is what you did as a magician. And I'm driving down the street, and I see this bright purple zoot suit in the window. 
and it was a neighborhood I should not have gotten out of the car. Out of the car. <laughs> and but I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I, I just stopped, and I was like, that is such a great look. And I drove away, and then I, you know, I drove a couple miles away actually, came back, wow. and I'm like, I what? You double dip in the bad neighborhood. Yes. <laughs> and I went back. I went inside, and it was kind of funny because I go in, and this old man work owns the place, and he goes. Um, it was, I end up buying the student as he looks at my credit card. He goes, and in checking me out, he goes, you know, you're the first white boy to shop here in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has a sign that says, it has been 300,000 days since a white boy yes. shopped here. Like, and he rips it off the wall. <laughs> and so that's how I ended up, you know, in the whole zoot scene. That became kind of my look. And then. I, I've always loved swing music, and in the 90s, I did a show called The New Swing Circus, which was my show with a 12-piece big band behind me. Wow. And, um, and, and the whole idea was where the Sex Pistols um, kind of basically, I wanted swing, big band music is Louis Prima or kind of music with the energy of the Sex Pistols. Yeah, the was Sex my, Pistols was, had a horn section. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's what I was going for. Okay. And, um, so we did that for years in San Francisco and kind of... Um, kind of created my look and my style of what I was doing at the time. And then, I, you know, I just, I, as you get older, you slowly start changing the look. And, um, and I got to the point where I was, I think is when, uh, when the crash happened, the dot-com bust happened, I, was, I had been doing so many shows that way and doing big corporate events where we're selling the whole show with the big band and everything. And no one could spend money. Yeah. Even, and what I realized is even companies that had money and were willing to have parties, they couldn't have a party where they took a picture and they'd see somebody on stage or, or a big production. Where before they wanted big productions, now all of a sudden, if it looked like anything big, it was too, like, they couldn't have a photo like that go on Instagram or anything, yeah. anything like that at that time or MySpace at the time. Yeah. And it's, um, so... But then we just had that with the whole what is it in the 2007 with that other yeah. well that's yeah basically when that kind of the whole the crash yeah. happened again and so at that point I was like I need a show that looks like it's just a guy in a case yeah on stage that's all I am and and because I realized companies did want entertainment they just couldn't have the perception of it being a big thing gotcha so I was doing a lot of the same high tech companies I was performing for in Silicon Valley before. But now I'm just at the CEO's house sometimes yeah. doing a show for the top 20 executives. And um, and so as I did that, my kind of the change just slowly yeah. changed. Well, the, I also, look, the look changed. I would imagine, too, in that super poppin' pimp suit yes. is, is going to be out of place at yes. the, at the yeah, CEO's house. Yes, exactly. I would let the CEO be like, where'd you get that at? <laughs> well, yeah, you don't need to look like a production act anymore at that point. Yeah, totally. And, um, is, I guess the the um, the theory would be maybe have something that looks like what they would wear to the office. Exactly. Yeah. And I still never did that. I always wanted to have a, a style that stood out enough. Well, you always got the hats. I, I do always have the hats, yes. <laughs> but I always wanted to have the style that looks like you knew I was something different. I wasn't the salesman, when I first started in corporate events, I remember doing a trade show and it seemed like everybody thought they had to look exactly like the salespeople mm-hmm. that worked at the company. And I was like, you don't. It's, um, you know, the first one I did actually, the first big one, I, the company was, uh, it's called Manage.com. They had no products at all. They just had a ton of venture capital money. And the idea <laughs> and of- And they Yes, yes. And it was- the first, it was right when it was going to be the first 
Christmas where they thought they could sell things over the internet and they, they were to call it an e-Christmas. And I sold them on the idea of their colors were lime green and bright orange. So they had a lime green zoot suit made for me. Oh, that's cool. And we had, we had, which it's so politically incorrect now. It was then too, but just no one, no one cared then. <laughs> um, we, had, we hired four midgets dressed up as elves, but they had bright orange elf costumes made. And it was like the biggest thing at the trade show. Everybody's like looking and coming over. And there was an older magician who comes up to me and he's like, we're talking. And he, he, he then says to somebody else, he goes, he just doesn't understand this industry. And I'm like, I'm on their advertising and on all their stuff. I think I understand it. <laughs> yeah. He'd been doing it for years the exact same way. And I'm like, yeah, that's one way to do it. And there's other ways to yeah. do it. You're like, you, should, you know, you should just invest in some little people. You, know? <laughs> you want to get in. <laughs> when I make it, I always thank the little people. Yes. <laughs> now, uh, we, we'll go back to the beginning. Now, okay. you come from a humble beginning, the son of a cobbler. Well, the great-grandson of a cobbler. Oh, yes. great-grandson yes. of a cobbler. Yes. My great-grandfather was Gentleman Pitt Darwin, who was a vaudeville performer. Uh -huh. and, and, was, and cobbler. And cobbler, yes. <laughs> he ate cobbler. It's, uh, he, um, he, um, he was a strong man. It wasn't a huge vaudeville act, but, that's, but it was in vaudeville doing the strong man act, punching bags. And we, When I was a kid, there was stuff around the house of his. And so... That was a big part of like my interest was the look of it and everything always seemed interesting. And did you did you know him? I didn't. He had passed away by the time I was born. But I saw you had found some video of I, him. We, I did I did find video of him. And it, I only found video of him maybe a year and a half ago on the internet. And I was constantly looking and going through photos. Yeah. And I just typed his name in again one day. And there was a university that had had been documenting video or fil old film and had just put it up That's on, amazing. online. And like I'm, I sent it to my mother and she was just like, no one in the family knew there was any, any film of it. Uh, uh, and so, well, to be a vaudeville performer and then also have some sort of video yeah. like taken, I mean, that doesn't, the timing doesn't quite no, add up. No, it, was just, it was a short little film. Yeah. Clip. He was like ripping a phone book with his teeth, yeah. I believe. Yeah, and then he was being lifted up by his hair. <laughs> no, 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 he, he was, was dragging, he was lifting people by his hair. He was lifting hair. two people with his hair. Yeah. Now, do you do any strongman stuff? I don't. You know, it's, it's interesting, but I, and it's, it's so, it is interesting because I've been Georgia Magnet routines, which mm -hmm. are that kind of it was a you know, strong woman routines originally. Um, I've always fascinated me, and I had an assistant for seventeen years, and we played with it, never put in the show, and it's which is so strange because that's the kind of stuff I love more than anything else is things that could be real, mm -hmm. whether they're real or not real. Like sometimes they are, sometimes they're not, but whether with with the audience leaves thinking, was that real? Was it not real? Like it, playing with that line. I really like. Yeah. And so it's weird that the one thing that I never done is the thing that closest to my family. <laughs> yeah. I was roommates with a strong man. I do a performative sideshow festival and I'm roommates with a strong man for a week every year. Yeah. So I learned to rip the deck of cards in half and, right. you know, but then he does stuff like the horseshoe and all that, that you should put some time I, in. I, I should. <laughs> Make um, your mom happy. Yes. <laughs> Finally. She's like, we gave up that magic with the strong man. Finally. That's right. He's my son now. Following your roots. Finally. I don't have to tell my friends he's dead anymore. Yes. <laughs> okay. So you, I, I thought, did you grow up uh, in, you grew up in Texas. I grew up in Texas. Moved to San Francisco when I was 18. Uh -huh. And um, um, 
had a scholarship to the San Francisco Art Institute and or Chicago Art Institute and for fine art. And I came to visit and I saw actually John Park and Scott Meltzer uh. as the American Dream Juggling Team, street performing um, as we're having lunch right before I went to look at the school. And, and I'm, between that and it kind of went down to Haight Street and I was like, there's this whole music scene and kind of that was happening at the time in San Francisco that was really incredible. And I just, I was like, this is it. So that's nice. how I ended up here. And were you doing magic at that time? I was. I was I'd, I'd been doing kids' birthday parties. It wasn't uh. like I was, and then one street performed. And, and uh, so that the, kind of that mixture. I was actually doing magic and juggling and just kind of, I was just kind of a vaudeville kid. Yeah. Any, anything, any kind of vaudeville skill I could learn, I would. And so what, uh, what type of art were you doing that you had a scholarship for? Um, I was doing basically photography, but I was printing on clear acetate and putting them into jars with little animals in them, and the idea was like the little plastic animals. N- no, with like a lot of times it'd be like a goldfish and, ah. and, and it with water in the in the photograph. And the idea was it was it, it was terrible actually, but the concept was good. And the school well, loved it, the concept. Oh yeah, yeah um, because it was art people had to take care of. You couldn't just buy and put on the wall. <laughs> oh, wait, so people are buying the photograph. In a jar with like a frog, yeah, with like something a that praying they have mantis. To take, yes, and it's and, but it's printed clear, and so the whole thing was an art piece in itself. Oh, that's but they, cool. They had to actually take care of the art piece. So oh, they it, were more into that than your tattooing babies. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, that's when I look back, it wasn't good, but it was the concept that they, they thought <laughs> at the school was really good. And so when you're going through your uh, fine art, when you're going through fine art school, are you are you sort of Gravitating towards magic more, or are you? Equally... Oh, I was always. It was no. It's, it's the magic I'd started doing when I was eleven. Yeah, and um, did kids' birthdays all through high school, and no, that was kind of always the. But did you ever see thing. it as a career? Like, like I guess no. I'm wondering. No, like, art, why... art, fine art was my fallback. This magician thing. I got the, the <laughs> I, I got the live <laughs> art, the, the goldfish photos. Yes. <laughs> I do art for goldfish. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and so did, did you end up graduating? I didn't. I did two. I, the scholarship was only for two of the four years. Once the end of the two years, I was like, I don't. I've always had this feeling of art school is kind of a silly thing where it's like, you know what? You're either an artist or you're not. Just go out and do it. Mm-hmm. And there's so many students I started seeing around that it's like they were, they were good but didn't do anything unless the teacher had them. Totally. And I'm like, you know what? That's not going to make you do yeah. it. Yeah. And so it just – but when the scholarship ran out, I was like, I don't need to be here. I can, if I want to do this, I'll do it. Yeah. And then do you apply any of the things that, from your fine art two years to what you're you doing know, now? Absolutely. Um, I had one class that changed everything. And it was just, it was all about materials. Ah. And it was, um, you know, it showed that to have plastics and paints. And it was like, why do you use this kind of paint? Why would you use this kind of plastic? What, you know, how do you cut foam core correctly? <laughs> like, literally, it was just all about materials and how to use them. And that probably helped my magic career more than anything else. Wow. Yeah. I kind of want to take that class. Yeah, it, was, it was great. You got to just come up with some sort of live animal. <laughs> yes. I'm going to put my daughter in a jar <laughs> and have her paint from the inside out. <laughs> now, but your magic path was kind of already, by the time you got there, going. Like you, oh, yeah. You um, had like a gold medal from the Society of American Magicians. Yeah. I, um, yeah. When first place, the 
uh, gold medal of honor at the SAM competition when I was a kid. And, but it was, it was a dove act. It was a very kind of traditional type of thing. And then moved to San Francisco and I started, I'd perform anywhere and everywhere I could. And Mm -hmm. I was, I was literally doing kids' birthday parties during the day on the weekends in punk rock clubs at night. Yeah. And it was just any, any place I could find. And so, and I was doing a dove act with industrial music and kind of at that time. And just, it was like wherever I could perform, just trying to figure out mm-hmm. who I am and what I'm doing and just, you know, find out like what is it, what it's all about for me and who, what my character is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and just, I never stopped. My, my whole thing has always been just, just do shows, just yeah. keep doing shows because I'm not, I don't think I'm creative enough or funny enough at writing the joke, like sitting down writing jokes that, you know, how it is. It's, when you're on stage, you're going to come up with stuff. So yeah. I'm like, well, if that's where my material comes from, just keep getting on stage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard a podcast with you where you were telling a story and I, I thought that this story was like the most beautiful sort of encompassing what a true variety artist is, like the amount of things we have to do. Like the story was like, one night you're hanging out with the Rolling Stones doing magic, and then the next morning you're doing a kid's birthday party. Absolutely. <laughs> I, now, not only was it a kid's birthday party, it was, I, I, I ended up working for the Rolling Stones for four U.S. tours. And, um, but the first one was, the, uh, I'm tired for this private party. I walk in, it was a yacht cruise, and I walk in, I'm like, that's Keith Richards, that's, that's Mick Jagger. And it's like, ends up with just the band and their families. End of the night, Ron Wood says, hey, what are you doing later? I said, nothing. And he goes, why don't you come, uh, come back to the hotel? We're going to have a party. I go. I spend all evening at the party. And I'm like, I feel like a rock star. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my yeah. God, this is so cool. And the next day, not, it was not only a kid's birthday party. It was this woman who was an author who had this beautiful idea that was just a beautiful idea. <laughs> but it was the idea was that... The kid's going to be going through the forest in Marin and going through the hill, the mountains and come across a patch of field. And there's a magician just standing in the field and they come over and see the show. Well, the field had cows all around me <laughs> and, and there's cow patties. So the kids come down, sit down right when I'm about to start the show. Kids, he, kid moves over right into one of the cow patties and breaks the seal. It stinks. <laughs> so the kid's crying and upset and all the other kids are laughing at him. And I'm just like, last night I was with the Rolling yeah. Stones and now I'm in the field performing. Cow shit field. <laughs> yes. And the kid's going, stranger danger. <laughs> it was just like, oh, can't, can I, like I can't even have an ego for more than 12 yeah. hours. Oh yeah, right? <laughs> well, it's funny that like, you know, cause I get calls for stuff all the time where I'm just like, that is not a good setting for a show. It's like, first of all, why are you having kids walk through the woods? Yes. And then second of all, a stranger <laughs> magician just standing yes. there. Welcome. Like, what are you teaching these kids? <laughs> like every fairy tale I've ever read to my daughter. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it turns. Don't do that. <laughs> so how did you, uh, so how did you, so you did well on the yacht enough to be four tours with the Rolling Stones. So were you opening for them? Were you no, just doing- I just did. So the first year, what happened was um, I went, spent the evening with him. And the next day I get a call saying, after I did the kid's birthday, and he says, he says, hey, we had such a great time. Why don't you come to the, uh, come to the concert tonight? And so they had backstage passes and everything. I go to the concert. It was the most surreal day of my life <laughs> of just like everything. And I get there and I do some close-up backstage, and basically I was his 
How, God, I was like basically like a puppet for Ron Wood. <laughs> You're his he, private magician. He, he loved it, and um, and he he was like, oh, he he knows Siegfried, knew, knew Siegfried and Roy, but he had never seen close up magic, and it wasn't even like I was that good. He just never seen somebody. I had a look, and I was good enough, mm-hmm. uh, and so they end up. He says, "Come to L.A. with us," and I was like, oh, "I can't just go to L.A." And he's like, "Oh, we'll, we'll take care of it," and um. I go to L.A., and then that turns into me just performing backstage the rest of the, the tour. And it ma- the management hated it at first. They're like, we don't need a magician. And- <laughs> we don't need a backstage magician. We need Ron Wood. We'll get you a masseuse. We'll get you. But he loved it. And so and by the end of the tour, they realized it took the pressure off the band because it, the, w- they have more than one backstage action. There's the one which just the bands and, like, for doing the real business. Then there's the backstage area that you work at a record co- company or a radio yeah. station and you yeah. won free tickets. You got to go backstage. Mm-hmm. It's a section over there. And the band comes in, says hello, does a few things. But having me took the pressure off of the band and everybody backstage because there's like just excitement happening. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of how that whole thing happened. Did you feel pressure to like learn new tricks? You're like, okay, this is my fourth tour of the Rolling Stone. I better learn some new, new, I, I, new yeah, card I, tricks. Know, I constantly feel that. And then I walk in. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's like. Yeah. They, they're going to be amazed the 10th yeah, time they, they see it. They're, and a lot of times it's been, uh, you know, a couple years in between that they're just so excited about it to see it again. Yeah. It's and then not, you, like, that, I know that I'm doing the exact same trick. They, they don't remember yeah. it. There's that one guy that's won tickets four yeah. years in a row though. Who's yeah. like shaking but, his head. But from that, it's like, um, I end up working for the, for Robin Williams for 20 years. And every year I do his Thanksgiving party. And would, the first year I do the card and ceiling. And the second year I go back and somebody wants to see it again. I'm thinking the card's still there. I can't like, and I thought like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, I do it. And it's, Robin it's, Williams is not getting his ceilings clean? He's, well, the, that's the funniest part of this. I did it like six years in a row. And, and every year I was like, crap. And I get a call from his, from his ex-wife saying, um, we, we had the house painted. And the, um, they took the cards down. My daughter's really upset. Aww. Could you come over and, and, and do, do it again? So it's like, this is the middle of the year now, not Thanksgiving. <laughs> so I did a drive-by magic show, <laughs> where it's like a magic trick. Just I drive to this house, they pick a card, sign their name on it, I put it <laughs> on the ceiling, and so now there's cards all over the ceiling in their house. And and I felt like if you know who, there's a magician, Malini, and he famous story of him ruining a table, this old antique table, and and I took the line from him where I go, I go. For now on, your friends will come in and you'll say, this is my Picasso and this is my Keith Haring because they have these beautiful art all over their house. And I go, but then you'll look up, point up, and you'll say, that's my J. Alexander. <laughs> if you look straight and, up, there's your J. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's my J. Alexander. That's so funny. Well, it's nice because it, it stays there, right? Because that's yeah. what happened to the Fillmore. It's exactly. It's, it, it's funny. It's not even a trick that I'd say is my favorite trick, but it should be. I, I do it a lot. I've done it my whole life. At the Fillmore, I, I put put a card on the ceiling with Mick Jagger's name on it he, and he had signed and they took a frame, took the back off, which is the glass of the frame, drilled it into the uh, ceiling um, with the, showing the card and put a little plaque on the walls explaining what happened. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's um, on this day. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm not, it, 
it is one of my favorite tricks, but it's not even like what you say, like, hey, what's your favorite thing that you, that you do? I don't say think that, mm-hmm. but it's probably the thing that people remember the most. Well, and, if you're getting calls back from yeah. Robin Williams' wife to yeah. come to their house because the kid is traumatized, yeah. I mean, that's a good sign. <laughs> well, that, she was just yeah. like so upset that you repainted it and took it down. And so now... You're like, I also own a painting company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So um, so you've toured with the Rolling Stones. Now, do do have you worked with other... Because I, I heard also you were, were a bouncer at a rock club, and that's how you sort of got involved in sort of being like a rock... Magician. Um, well, that's kind of how I, probably Bill Graham first saw saw me was, yeah. I mean, but I, that's, I was eighteen. I moved to San Francisco, got a job. I wasn't even old enough to work in the nightclub. But I got a job as as a doorman, and I was just kind of around the scene. There's a whole incredible music scene happening in San Francisco at the time, and lots of bands were kind of would play for a couple months, get a record deal, and and blow up really quickly at that time. And there's just everything from bands like Metallica to Chris Isaac, where you don't think of them being the same scene, but at the time, it was like the same music scene happening in San Francisco. And so, um, Faith No More, and all the, there's just a ton of these bands. And so Bill Graham, who was a concert promoter and who was in charge of, like, not in charge of, but he was responsible for the Grateful Dead becoming famous, and a lot of the Janis Joplin, a lot of the bands of the, the 60s, he was still alive, and he saw me do some magic one night. And he just loved the fact that I was like this long-haired kid, but super nerdy, with but had this like rock and roll look doing magic. And he started booking me whenever the band would come through San Francisco to perform at one of his venues. He would book me as the entertainment and as a thank you kind of mm. to them. And that's how I got the Rolling Stones. Pretty much all all the biggest kind of celebrity gigs I've done doesn't matter if it's a musician or non-musician all could be tracked back to um, his personal assistant that's amazing it's it's like so much of my career is owed to this one woman who worked for him wow giving my name to people illegally hiring you to be the (laughs) bouncer yes the doorman She stole me away from the, from the club. Yes. <laughs> and that one club owner's like, he was the best doorman. <laughs> <He> was, <laughs> if only we had that magician doorman again. <laughs> well, it's amazing that, you know, that's a lot of, you know, our careers are, you do one thing, it opens up a door that you never, yeah, and then it sort of just snowballs. And you never know which one is going to come. That's yeah. part of my reason of like, just get out there and work is how I always feel. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you never know who's going to see you. Know, how, yeah. yeah. And just be good and, and just keep doing it. Yeah. And if, even if you're not good, get out there and do it because that's just going to make you good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so outside of magic, you, you also do other interesting things. Like you live in a floating house. Yes. Did I, I read do. that? Yes. Is that the same as a houseboat or is that like um, the, it's a, it's a, basically, it's a, it's like a houseboat, but there's no engine. It's, uh, in the 60s, for the most part, it was around the 60s, a lot of the intellectual hippies that were on Haight Street in San Francisco after the Summer of Love wanted to kind of get out of San Francisco because people, most people don't realize the Summer of Love was only one year, one summer. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. And, and the, the whole like hippie generation, it was really one summer. That's it. And people remembered it forever. It had the look, but it was only this like, great thing that one summer – and the intellectual guys would all move to Sausalito and start taking um, pieces of boats and stuff and building onto them. 
and built this community of artists. And tons of famous people have lived there over the years. And it was, for the most part, it was to live off the grid. Mm-hmm. And what, what happened years later, no one's living off the grid in, in, in <laughs> there anymore. They've become really nice. And some of these boats go for $3 million. Yeah. It's, um, there are these beautiful homes that just happen to be floating on old barges. Okay. And, um, and, but it's a really eclectic community. I mean, I know when you're from Seattle, so in yeah. Seattle you have the floating homes yep. too. It's, it's a similar thing, but this is the largest uh, neighborhood of floating homes. There's 450 or so floating homes. And like on my dock, there's everything from doctors and lawyers to CEO of an ice cream company to a 90-year-old woman who paints, has been painting for 50 years on her boat every single day. Wow. And uh, two people are poets <laughs> that are actually like serious published poets. Oh, cool. And um, me as a magician, there's Tupac Shakur's sister um, <laughs> lives there. And the, her mother used to live there. And they'd have uh, Black Panther beatings on the dock. Oh, wow. Because it's, a, it's has, like kind of a pretty serious history. Wow. Yeah. So the artistic sort of uh, ideology is still there. It's still there. It's, it's a lot. It's cleaned up. But yes, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> still there. Yeah. Do you have a street address? It's just a West Pier. I mean, okay. it's, there's a number on a on pier. Are you schlepping your stuff from the parking lot <laughs> down a dock? A little bit. That is the biggest pain. Yeah. Is. But we have like, we have grocery carts that kind of to take yeah. these back and forth. But that is the biggest pain is. Oh, the, there goes Jay again. Yeah. But that's what, part of the reason I wouldn't have left, lived there probably before I had my theater. But I, once I bought my theater, most of my shows are at the theater now, so yeah. I don't have to, oh, that's nice. to schlep like I used to. Yeah. And so you do own a, the Marrakesh Magic Theater, and where is that located yeah, at? It's in downtown San Francisco, right off Union Square in the, kind of in the theater district. It's a 45-seat uh, theater. We have a restaurant lounge. So people come in. You have food and drinks. And then you go into the theater for the show. And the restaurant, I think I read, was the oldest Moroccan restaurant in well, the United States? My, it's not the, rest, the restaurant. My Space. Oh, okay. The, the first Moroccan restaurant was in My Space. That's why we have the, the name is um, Marrakesh Magic Theater. Is It was originally called the Marrakesh Restaurant, which the restaurant upstairs is now called the Marrakesh Restaurant, but it's a different restaurant than the, what was originally there. And it was the first Moroccan restaurant, and so they made it look... It looks like the inside of a genie bottle, the architecture inside. So when I first saw it, I was like, this, it looks like a kind of a magical place. Mm-hmm. Never would have been the theme I would have, would have chosen if you said, hey, we're going to create a magic theater. Well, what do you want to make it? Inside of a genie yes. bottle. <laughs> yeah. But when I saw it, I was like, this is perfect. And um, So how did you find the space? Someone else actually found it first years ago. There's a guy who was... Uh, was an amateur magician, wanted to do magic full time. And he was the original, his wife did belly dancing and found the, the place because she belly danced at the restaurant that was upstairs. And he wanted to open a place and I kind of helped him for years with it and would work there every so often. And then when he, he wanted to move away. And so he said, do you, are you interested in the theater? I said, sure. And uh, actually I didn't say sure. I said, at first I said, no way. <laughs> he showed me kind of how well he was doing and the mix. And I thought at the time I was doing corporates and cruise ships and I was doing a little bit of everything. And I'm like, I just gotten off of a 24 hour flight without leaving America, getting off of a cruise Jeez. ship. It was the worst flight of my life. And it was four flights home from Florida to San Francisco. It's brutal. And I'm like, I, I can't take this anymore. Yeah. So, when he- so the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know what? Maybe this uh, would be nice. 
And it's been great to, to have my own place where people are coming to me has been really nice. It's a, it's a lot more work in a different way, mm-hmm. but it's also easier in others. And I imagine you're selling to tourists and, and locals. It's a mixture. I, I probably, it, it's about a third locals, a third tourist, and a third corporate event. So mm. the corporate events could be locals or tourists. Oh, because they'll hire out the theater. They, they buy, ju- do corporate got, buyouts. Oh, that's great. Yeah, like I have um, Yelp and Twitter corporate offices are really close by. Each of them rent the theater at least once a month for just buyouts. They'll just Yelp will come. Yelp will come. And then and you'll give your theater a <laughs> two star. I, I've, two actually, stars. I've never gotten a review from anyone that, from the Yelp events, <laughs> which makes me so mad. <laughs> But you leave Yelp review. You're like, I hosted them at my theater, and they did not leave me a Yelp review. One star. Well, what's funny is if you look on Yelp for a long time, Yelp has really bad Yelp reviews, Mm -hmm. which I just think is such a funny thing. Like, yes. Well, I imagine it's awesome to stay in one place. And so, are you developing a new show every year? I'm constantly working on new stuff. I thought I would change the show more than I do, because when I first took it over. I thought, oh, you're going to have so much time to work on new material. And it's like, no, you're doing 400 shows a year at the theater. You don't have time to... the show. Yeah. You don't have as much time to work on the new material as I'd like. But it it lifts a lot of the travel constraints. Because when you're traveling, you're like, okay, it has to fit in that case. And it has to be under 50 pounds. Yeah. The idea of, you know, pack flat, play big kind of thing is not a thing anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just... Well, I imagine after 400 shows in that theater, that's the last thing you want to see is that theater. Um, <laughs> at time, well, now that we've been closed for 15 months, so excited. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, for a while, I was just like, all right. And I needed, I always say it's like, I need the variety show of stages mm-hmm. after, once I was there. Cause, and I, so I loved doing a corporate event every so often outside the theater. Just because I, I'm like, yeah, I need a different stage. Oh, Absolutely. To see yeah. if your stuff still works. Yeah. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Because you probably hone it to that space. You and that. do. You honed it so much to that space. And I know the, the show starts from the second they get to the door, from how the, the uh, doorman greets them, to them coming down the stairs, and they're greeted, taken to the lounge. And in the lounge, I do close-up magic. And so I've warmed up my audience from my own show before it starts. You're your own opening act. Absolutely. And so then they come in. They're so excited. And... They've bought tickets, so it's not like at a corporate yeah, event where, investment. where they're like, really, a magician? It's kind of half the, you know, half the people are excited, half the people are thinking, really, a magician? We have to sit through this? Mm-hmm. And you have to win them over. Yeah. There's no winning anybody over. It's like, you just have to lose them. Yeah, it's like a cruise ship. <laughs> like, that's what I love about yeah, cruise ships. Absolutely. Is people are there to see you. It's a, it's, the environment is set and made for a show. Right. It's like at these corporate events, sometimes you're going in, like their backs are turned. Sometimes right. someone doesn't really quite introduce you well. Or, yeah. you know, there's some sort of... We have a little magic show for you tonight. Yeah. Hope or he's like, good. There's yeah. some tribute to a fallen yeah. <laughs> employee right before exactly. you. Exactly. And yep. you're just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> They're like, Two people have died in this scenario. Yeah. Welcome. We're gonna, to, we're gonna have to let half of you go. But yeah, I, I've there's had that the magician. One. Oh, I've had that one. <laughs> uh. Well, congratulations on you know it coming back up. I mean, I imagine that's a huge relief to you. You buy a theater. Oh yeah. You never sort of think that oh this is going to be closed for almost two a year and a half. Yeah. And you know how when did you buy the theater? Um, I hope I got the keys um, January first, two thousand seventteen. And did shows start that night. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Now, can we ask you about when the time you made triplets appear? Wow. <laughs> sure. Um, 
it was MTV's uh, My Super Sweet 16. And, um, Which was a show about people's ex- sweet 16, 16 year old birthdays? Incredibly or? fancy, high end. Yeah. They usually find the, the wealthiest, most privileged kids they can and have sweet 16 parties. And they found these girls that were triplets. I, identical triplets, which I didn't even know there was, or, or incre- look incredibly alike, <laughs> but they called them identical triplets, which I don't know if that's actually a thing or not. <laughs> I, um, it, they were the sweetest, nicest girls. And so um, I get a call, and we only had a week and a half to come up with, like, have meetings with them, but they also wanted to film all the meetings. So it was, and they wanted something customized so they could have the whole process, but then you have to do it fast. And it was great. I mean, I, kind of came up with this, the concept of what we're, we're going to do and went to do the, the show. Everything was great. But one of the girls, the producer said to me, I'm trying, I'm trying to get off on the story. I'm, I'm get, trying to make this story make sense because it's such, it was so much to it. The producer says to me, she has a magic phobia. Yes, no, the producer said, these girls are the nicest girls we've ever had on the show. They didn't know how to make it interesting. So they, with the magic of video oh, they, editing. They needed like friction? They, or... Yeah, they needed friction. These girls were sweet as could be. <laughs> They're too and nice for TV. <laughs> they were. And so they made one of them, had a few little comments, um, and they called this, decided to call her, like one of the sisters called her a wet blanket. So they do that thing where they start showing that same scene over and over <laughs> for calling her this name. And they made the show look like trashing this little this one sister uh-huh. and making the other two sisters seem nice and it's the early days of the, the forums on uh like in 14 year old kids all talking about the wet blanket and making fun of her on <laughs> online which is what any show wants to do just to get people talking yeah and the father is the ceo of a major silicon valley company and he's online on mtv you know forums <laughs> saying they just made her look like this. She's a really nice girl. Defending her. She's defending her. And I'm thinking, that is the greatest, like, saddest thing I've ever seen. Because I'm like, he's a CEO of a company. He knows his daughter is nice, but he felt he had to protect Aww. his daughter. And I'm like, that is so sweet. <laughs> and you're arguing with 14-year-old girls on a line. <laughs> on an MTV forum. Yes. It's been long enough. Can we ask you, was she really a wet blanket? No, she was sweet. Okay. They were so nice. What do you like when you get that phone call? Are they like, okay, we have? Do they tell you like we have these three, I you know, girls who it, look like we want you to do a magic trick? Or are they like? It was. I got a call. It wasn't from MTV. I got a call from a production company that it's like an event production company who got the call that to kind of design the party for this event, and they wanted to do something kind of big and different. And I had already worked at the company for years for corporate events. And um, they just called and said, this is, yeah, we've got triplets. We, we need to make magically appear. Do you have any ideas? And Even I, if you don't have an idea, you're like, yes. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always I'm say like, yes. Yeah. It's like, sure, we can, we can, we can do <laughs> oh, this. Yeah. And Easy. we basically took apart another old illusion and made it look um, and turned into a different illusion and had this guy that knew nothing about magic, but was a really good set designer. And he redesigned this box and basically it was, it looked like a almost like a Barbie box, but it had the girls' names on it uh, on the front, and it looked like cellophane on the very front of the box. And on each side, it was cutouts of the three girls. So it went took each of the cutouts off the box, almost like they were paper dolls. Put it inside the box, had a little do- 
and dial on the side and turn the dial. And it looked like they just kind of almost like a Star Trek kind of uh, thing where they just like transported. Slowly, yeah, yeah. A little transport, transporter thing appeared inside of the box and oh. the cellophane comes up. And oh, that's great. Came out. It was really nice. Well, I saw the video and I, it was very entertaining. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is he was a kid. Do you know who, if you might know who Alex Ramon is? He's I know in, Alex. Yeah. Yeah. So if you watch the video, Alex was just a kid and he was acting as, as my assistant within the show, kind of just holding the next to the box, helping the girls out. It's, <laughs> and he was the same age as the girls at the time. And so they, they were, one of them was flirting with Alex the whole time. And was Alex, it the wet blanket? It's, I, I don't remember which one it was, but it, the whole time I was like thinking, I, I need to tell, I was like, Alex, you can't flirt back with this yeah. girl. It's like, you know, they don't know that you're this young, all the same age. Don't ruin this for me. Yeah. I'm doing Octomom next week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm making all the babies appear. <laughs> it's uh. It was one of those things where I'm like, oh, I thought I didn't think I'd have a problem with yeah. 16 year old girls, but it's uh, <laughs> Alex is a looker though. <laughs> he's a good looking guy, yes. So how, how how did you come to perform at the Moisture Festival? Um, so f- I think Frank Olivier had been doing it for a while, and um, and I think him and Tom Dotty were just talking about it, and I'm friends with them, and Tom Dott- I think it's Tom Dotty said something, and Frank's like, Jay, you really you got to go do that. And um, and just the whole idea of a vaudeville variety sh- yeah. festival, you know, it's what I love. And then I heard, you know, like I knew that Avner had performed at it. Yeah, and some of my favorite performers. And yeah, so, and they do uh, get quite a bit of like because we, you know, living in Seattle, it's like, oh wow, these people are just going to be in our town for a week and a half or yeah, or, you know, four weeks shows. now. Yeah, like, yeah. It's it, we're lucky to have it. Is San Francisco ever considered like doing like a variety arts vaudeville you know, festival? I, I mean, afterwards, I really wanted to, and I've I produced um, with another guy the San Francisco a Magic Festival, and it's just magic. And they did a vaudeville festival here in the eighties. It was like right when I moved here, like I think it's eighty six, but I wasn't part of it just because I just moved to San Francisco. And the uh, were Kevin James and. Rudy Kobe and then a lot of like kind of the new vaudevillian performers were at it, but there hasn't been anything ever since. And there should be because it has such a rich history. Well, and there's such a like in San Francisco alone, there's such a huge plethora, or a plethora of variety entertainers. Yeah. You can huge. say a huge plethora. Huge, yeah. can you say huge plethora. <laughs> I is think that, so. Is that correct? Huge plethora. I feel like yeah, I might. As, what do you say? As the only person in this room that's gone to college. I know. <laughs> I went to our college. Who are you talking about? We don't use those fancy words. <laughs> Yeah, because like in Seattle, you know, we do have variety entertainers, but it's not as sort of unified as it is here in San Francisco. I I just wonder why Seattle, why it can happen in Seattle and doesn't happen in other places across the country. I think because I think the performers in San Francisco are, are already performing a lot on their own. They had to go out on their own and perform, and it's just a lot more of a community in Seattle. Mm-hmm. It, it, it feels like and. We're a community, but we're all doing our things already yeah, separately. Gotcha. And um, you cross paths when you cross, if you're at the same gig. But yeah, you're but not... for the most part, we're not at the same gigs too often. Gotcha. We're, we're all just doing the same thing. Yeah. But um, it seems like there's a lot more of that 
community there. Yeah, I think the show, certainly the organizers have a background in doing more community-driven shows with right. multiple performers and bringing in, you know, working with local charities and organizations mm-hmm. to right. sort of build build something up. So maybe that's it. But I would, I just, I'm always curious because it's like, why does this not exist other places? Let's see, the thing is, when you take all the people from out of town and bring them to another town, it's a party. Yes, yes absolutely. So you're like all your all your Bay Area friends yeah. when you're at the Moisture the Festival. Like, I haven't seen you in so long. Well, the other thing that makes it harder here is how at Moisture Festival, a lot of the performers stay at people's homes and mm. things like that. Most people in San Francisco don't have a, a house with an extra bedroom to put someone up. They're like, I don't so think my five here. roommates will like yes. this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So you, uh, Steve Wozniak said that you, you're, you're amazing. I know you've done tons of shows for them. Is yeah. he mad that you own a PC? Hey, I, I definitely don't own a PC. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be mad if I owned a PC. <laughs> and I've been needing to talk to you guys about this. I see. I see. I see. I'm a little upset with them. <laughs> it's, um, God, it's, I'll tell you a funny story with Wozniak. It's, so Wozniak came also from the Rolling Stones gigs. Oh, wow. It was all connected, that same, the same thing. Um, and when he used to throw a party every year, his kids, when his kids are now adults, but when they were uh, in high school, he would throw a party every year for, they were in drama. And at the end of this, whatever the play they did, he would throw the rap party at his house. And it'd have me and other, other performers come in. And... I walk into the house one day for this party, and he has a room with every back ever created is in the room. Wow. And him and some friends were trying to do something. I didn't know what they were doing. And they come out of the room. It was right when DVDs came out, and people used to say, you can't copy a DVD, which we learned a couple years later that every 12-year-old <laughs> could do it. Um, but they come out of the room, and he's holding the DVD up, and he's like, we did it, we did it. We copied the DVD. And all I'm thinking is, you're a billionaire. You can buy a DVD. <laughs> you're, you're excited about like, bootlegging. Yes. Like, do you know how much Batman Returns costs? <laughs> yes. But it, and that, that's when I realized it's like, no. The, I love him for the fact that he's like, he's still a hacker mentality yeah. type of thing. And it's like, it's more about creating and doing yeah. and figuring this puzzle out. Stealing was, from the man. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't stealing from the man for him anymore. It was just the... He could do it. He yeah, could, and it's totally. Like, and well, you were I, there at the 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 incarnation <laughs> of bootlegging yes. DVDs. Yes. <laughs> Who knew you create an industry in China? <laughs> yep. Now we don't want to take up all your time, but I do. Since you're a big music buff, you've performed for you know a million people. You've opened up for Boy George and other musical acts. What are your top five music shows that you've attended? Okay. Wow. Okay, I could actually. T- Tell you, um, top five. That's a lot, but uh, the, the band Guar. I don't know if you. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. First time I walked in, that's uh, when I st- was working as a doorman. I walk in, and this band, for people that have not never seen them, they're almost like where the wild things are, kind of costumes. They're a space age, yes, or right. a space invader metal costume blood death band. Yes, and I never see anything like. It. I walk in, and it's just like. What the heck is this on stage? Um, the other one, and a lot of the ones, my favorite shows aren't even shows that I love the music, which is interesting. Just the like, performance of yeah, the energy. The performance of it. Yeah. Um, Chris Isaac used to perform at this club, this little small club, and he was at a time when he could do a 2,000 seat theater 
um, one night. Mm. But instead, he would go into two weeks at a 300-seat nightclub, and he would just do night after night after night. But he'd go in, and he would decorate the place, and he'd make it look like a tiki lounge. Oh, it didn't cool. matter what the bar was or club. He decorated the whole thing and created his world. So you come in, to, it was definitely a Chris Isaac world. And I, I probably learned more from watching him of like what I want out of my, my shows and my theater of the show starts the second people yeah, get there. Complete, mm-hmm. and make a complete ambiance. Yeah, yep. and it's like I've always really loved that. Probably like, I don't know, 10 years ago, I'm at doing a show and I'm talking to this woman and she goes, you look familiar. And ends up, she remembered me from years before, um, just seeing me around San Francisco not seeing me perform and we're talking and she worked she was a costumer for Chris Isaac and I tell her the story and she says you know he had to stop that when he when he sold his first record to a big record label um, they didn't want him doing that and they felt like you know it's wrong it's like to, to kind of go in and, and do this kind of thing and you have to play bigger places and that but to me that's like it changed everything for me how I saw things uh-huh. was that, but of him, uh, I'll tell you one of my favorites. That's also my favorite and least favorite because I, I opened it up from twice. Is Leon Redbone? Uh-huh. If you know who Leon yeah, Redbone yeah. is, yeah. And first time I opened up for him, I I was like, this guy's a master. Of <laughs> he walks out on stage and there's just one chair and like a lamp next to him, a lamp on stage, one chair. And uh, he walks on with his guitar in a case, slowly opens it up after they introduce him, slowly takes out the guitar, lights a cigarette. He's going so slow. And, it's, and my character's always been big and over the top. And I, uh, with this energy of like coming out to like eat the audience, I'm like, it's showtime, kind yeah, of like yeah. you know, mm-hmm. big energy, and, which is what I like. And he's walking out so slow. Everything he does is just has serious like purpose and but it's and like if he looks looks or lights a cigarette it's slow and deliberate and when by the time he hit this first string um was four minutes in it's just a release from the audience the crowd goes crazy and i'm like holy shit he just owns that room Mm -hmm. by moving so slow and so deliberately and a couple years later I go to do a sh- to do a show with him. He sits at the very back of the room of the stage. Didn't want any lights on him. It was just like a shadow, and <laughs> people were leaving. Because he comes out, he just like I think he was just high out of his mind. He didn't want any lights on him. It was forty and minutes before he pe- struck yeah, the no, string. It was, it was four almost. minutes. Four minutes after the show ended. Yes, after the show ended, the music started. People were leaving, and they're like. Couldn't tell if it was him or just like someone looked like him and they played a record. They're like, was that the magician? Yes. <laughs> just a guy in the back <laughs> smoking. <laughs> yeah. Is that um, the guy from X Files? Well, funny story. So I'm doing with him. Uh, the, uh, the first time when he was amazing, he comes, uh, I'm backstage in my little dressing room, and he's got a dressing room with, with his band. And he comes back and he goes, Young man, mind if I, uh, mind if I sit in here with you? He goes, My band's bugging the shit out of me. <laughs> And I'm like, sure. And I'm kind of like, don't know what to say or do, like how to act. I'm like, do I ask questions? I'll leave him alone. So I'm doing my thing. He's doing his thing. And then a few minutes later, he goes, young man, 
You mind stepping out? Kind of like to be alone before I go on stage. <laughs> I'm like, can you get I got out kicked of out of my own <laughs> dressing room? I'm like, uh, I guess. Can so, can sir. you say no? Are you allowed? <laughs> no, to say- no, I'm not going to say no to it. I'm like, I guess, sure. <laughs> Could you also lend me your wife? <laughs> Can you go get me some coffee? <laughs> it was so weird because the first show I did for him was the best concert. Like, watching him was just like, you are a true master. The second time, I'm like, I don't, I don't get this. Where I look, I at like the thing. good and bad yeah. of Leon Redmond. You see the full gamut you of sure what do. is possible <laughs> on good and bad. But, so... You're thinking of, of another yeah. concert. I have a question for you sure. that came up in my research. How tall are you? How tall? I don't know. Five, ten and a half? Okay. Well, so I'm on the website Celeb Height Wiki, and <laughs> they have all your vital statistics except for your height, which is weird for Celeb Height I don't know. I didn't even know I was a celeb, so this is great. They're like, his blood type is A. Oh, yeah. No, they got everything okay. but your height. <laughs> what, what does it say? Your eye color. Yeah, it's got eye color. It compares your height, which is unknown to... Pendulette, Lance to, uh, Burton. To other magicians. <laughs> to other magicians. Seriously. How tall do you think Pendulette is? Six, 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 Boom, seven. Boom, nailed it. Yeah? Lance Burton. I'd say 5'11". 5'9". Five, 5'9". Five, nine. Five, nine. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yep. Chris Angel? I have no clue. I think he's also pretty short. Six foot. Six oh, foot. Oh, I would have yep. thought he was, for some reason, I would have thought he would be short. And yep. then a guy I've never heard of, Deddy Korsbazier? He's, he's just he's a 5'11". He's just as not, not known as I am. <laughs> they, have, they have his way. write a letter to Celeb Height Wiki. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, you have lots of stuff online, jalexander.com. You, I believe, do you have a, a DVD that's available for oh, people I, if they want it? The if you can get have a DVD, yeah, yeah, you sorry. can get the CD yeah, Steve Waz, Steve Waz, yeah, selling it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm Steve. <laughs> yeah, what factory do you use to make these? Steve Waz, Steve, Steve Burns, I'm just giving him a call. Um, it, the theater is SanFranciscoMagicTheater.com. And um, yeah, we're back right now just doing five shows a week. We're going to be back to seven soon. So if you're in San Francisco, come on yeah, down, please. check out the show. And anything else that's going on that you want to plug or really that's it right now. I'm just kind of getting back to, uh, to those shows. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. Well, congratulations, yeah. man. Thank you. We just opened this past weekend. Yeah. So, and the, sh- the crowds were good. Sold out crowds and, and people so happy to be there. I bet. Yeah. It's uh, I and mean, that's the best part. It's just how excited people are right? to, to want to be entertained. Again. Well, I think, people are relearning what they were taking for granted. Like I absolutely, I think right before the pandemic, without the pandemic on the horizon, people were pretty grizzled about entertainment. Yeah. yeah. No. And I, I actually think it might help live entertainment for a while. Yeah. Now after, after killing it for 15 <laughs> months, I actually think people really do want live again and are appreciating it. Well, I know the moisture festival is going to ha- happen here next year. Yep. If things continue the way they are. And I, I hope you come back. I, I would love to. Yeah. I love it there. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much. We really appreciate it for coming all the way to Berkeley to You're do welcome. this. All right. Thanks. Thanks, man. <laughs> Take care.
All right, folks. Well, that's it for today. Just a quick few plugs. Of course, go to moisturefestival.org for all things Moisture Festival. You, they also have a Facebook page, an Instagram, and a YouTube that you can sign up for. And you can get all the information if you want to volunteer, if you want to donate, or if you want to fill out the questionnaire to be considered as a performer as well. You can do that all on their site. If you want to find out more information about Louie and I, you can find Louie at louiefox.com. That's with two X's. Yes, and you can find Matt at Comedy stuntshow.com you can also check out the podcast that matt and i do called the odd and offbeat podcast at odd and or on itunes stitcher pocket cast all that jazz if you like weird and unusual news stories that's where you need to go because the odd and offbeat podcast is all things weird yes so check that out if you like this podcast you will love our podcast so be sure to check that out so we want to thank our guests for today. That was a lot of fun. And and we want to thank all the donors and volunteers and performers that make the Moisture Fest happen as well. Without yeah. them, we wouldn't be here talking to them. Absolutely. So get your little slice of Moisture Festival at moisturefestival.org. And thanks so much for listening, folks. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival podcast. And stay moist.